This is not psychotherapy. Dr. Wills does not have a provider-patient relationship with this guest. These are just two people talking about emotions. Welcome to Give a Actually with your host, Dr. Alex Wills. Welcome to Give a Fuck Actually. Today I've got Lo Von Roof here. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I, I, I'm a little exhausted. I just did a workout here in Nashville, Tennessee and kicked my ass. And I went into it feeling confident. And then I was like, oh, damn. Like, maybe I need to do a little bit more cardio in my life. So, yeah. But I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Did you, the dopamine rush will be kicking in, I'm sure, in the next few hours. Nice. So I have a little bit of info about Lo. I was uh, honored to be on his uh, podcast, The Low Life. It was a good time, and he's uh, coming on to give a fuck now, so we're going to talk about some of Lowe's emotions. He is an entrepreneur, celebrity stylist, national public speaker, and host of Apple's top-charting society and culture podcast, The Low Life. The LA native embarked on his career and developed his eye for style working for European fashion houses. Unlike most stylists who begin as interns or assistants, Lowe's passion for entrepreneurship led him to take the leap and build his own company, LVR Style, working alongside designers, actors, models, musicians, and artists. As an image architect and trend maven, Lowe's Los Angeles-based styling and consulting company affords him the opportunity to consult, public speak, and lend his ex expertise as a celebrity stylist and contributing fashion editor to national broadcasts and publications. He's been featured on Good Morning America, E! News, E! Daily Pop, Entertainment Tonight, People Magazine, GQ, People, Style Watch, and Elle. Lowe has styled global brand campaigns, commercial shoots, music videos, and red carpet events, working with talents such as Thomas Doherty, Ricky Martin, McKenna Grace, and many others. With over a decade of experience in the entertainment industry, Lowe expanded his company to launch the Low Life Podcast, with over 2 million downloads, the podcast is a platform for Lowe to interview friends, industry experts, entrepreneurs, and numerous thought leaders. Lowe ex explores all his curiosities in life, from true crime to religion, relationships, pop culture, mental health, wellness, and fashion. No topic is off limits. That's great. Amen. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> sound, sounds awesome. <laughs> Thank you for having me here. Pumping my tires. You said your uh, podcast is uh, over 100 episodes now. Yes, I know. I think we're at 130 episodes coming up this week. This is wild. Because we started, I started my ass, my gay ass, went back in the closet. And that's when I was recording during the pandemic. And I was so nervous to start a show. And I was like, oh God, is anybody going to be listening to this? And it's just me in literal darkness with a microphone by myself. And then, and before we could get guests or anything on, it just started off solo mission, which was not at all the perfectionistic side of me. It was like, this is going to be a dumpster fire. But hey, we put the dumpster fire. It's still, it's actually, it's still blazing, actually. It's still going strong. And it's been an incredible experience. As you know, podcasting, it's a completely different medium, a different platform that's really nice to be, the audience that you get to build. And it's very special. I love it, truly. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's so great to be able to connect with people that otherwise you might not get to connect with. Yeah. Over 2 million downloads, you know, you must be doing something right. That's exciting. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. I'm having fun with it. 
So anything else that you wanted to let us know as far as your background, why the interest in mental health? Just, yeah, where, what's kind of your origin story with all that? You know, I have a big focus of mental health on my show just because when I originally started the podcast, because I'm a celebrity stylist, I'm in entertainment. My producers back then, they wanted me to go for like an entertainment type pop culture podcast, spilling the tea with Bun Low. And I do love that angle, sure, but it's, it's just not really who I am. I'm down to spill tea once in a while, but there's so much more to me. And I felt like there were so many facets that I want to explore in my own self. And just, I'm a huge podcast listener. I'm an I'm avid listener of so many different podcast shows that I'm obsessed with. And so that's why I thought I wanted a, a, a podcast that kind of had all my favorite things. So a little, like a tapas platter, a little appetizer platter, everything that I enjoy in one space. And I was like, that would be a really cool podcast if I can get some true crime, a bit of mental health. I have sex therapists on, we can talk about drugs, religion. I can get a little bit of politics, like news, current events, and some pop culture, but it just keeps it fresh and fun. And the ADHD excited me, it's satisfied. And for anyone listening that has that, this is going to be a, a safe space for you because we keep it varied. But mental health specifically was important to me because I feel like just, and I, I know a lot of people can relate to this, but right now in the world with social media, it's blessing and a curse. And it's great that we have access to each other and take a little sneak peek into people's lives, what they choose to share. But a lot of the times, as we all know, it's a highlight reel and it's not really real. It's not actually what's going on. And I know just from firsthand people that I'm styling that are doing so well, you know, or these are celebrities, people that are one percentile truly, you know, making so much money. They're beautiful. They're famous. And they got their shit together. They don't. You know, a lot of them, most, nobody does actually, nobody does, nobody has their shit together. And so I always feel like, hello, like, how are you always so happy? Or, you know, you're killing it. And, and I strive, you know, I work really hard. I don't come from wealth. I don't come from a lineage of like generational wealth or anything like that. I'm from migrant farm workers and my mom and dad work really hard. And, and so, and we're Latino. And so I, I understand, you know, what it's like to, to not have money and to, you know, struggle and so and i've struggled with my own mental health along the way and not everything's perfect and so i just wanted to kind of lift that curtain a bit and i know there are a lot of podcasts that are starting to do that or they've you know been able to just be very transparent and that's my whole thing vulnerability is what i lead with now in life and it is just so refreshing and freeing to not have to pretend like you've got your shit together in all times and actually i think it's a bit more relatable it's like yeah we're all figuring it out as we go along. No one knows the, the answer. We're all just kind of, you know, like, but that's my origin story. It was like, yeah, I started in fashion retail and loved working with clients. I still have clients, but I was craving something more. And styling for a lot of people is just surface level, what you're going to wear, how you're going to maintain your beard, your hair, just all appearance, all extrinsic things. But for me personally, in my career, it's been so much more than that. It's, it's intrinsic based. Styling for me is sure. I love fashion and the designer clothes. It's awesome. Like, I'm not going to say no to like Louis Vuitton and shit. It's fancy. Oh, can I curse by the way? Should I have to be careful? Okay. I don't know. I'd be a censored version, but I love fancy clothes and all the, the glamour that comes with a life in Hollywood and getting to put people in beautiful outfits. 
but it's so transformational. And that to me, and I'm upset. It's a high that I cannot get enough of. That's my drug is getting to see somebody come in that could feel broken or insecure or just completely lost or just overwhelmed with knowing that they don't feel that great about themselves. They're going to have to walk into a red carpet or walk into an event, hundreds of pictures being taken of them. And my job in that moment is to make sure they feel so fucking good about themselves, so confident from the inside and it will resonate on the outside as well. And so, and I get to do that through my canvas, which is styling, clothing, fashion, and accessories and stuff like that. And so it's been really fun for me to see that transformational process in my clients. They get to feel more confident in their own skin. It's, it's fun. It's a bit of like a, I think it's, a, it's so much deeper than just styling. I think it, it's psychological, truly. And so that's what feeds me. And so I bring that into the podcast as well, because yeah, people, I take a different approach. Cause there's some stylists that are just like the glamour and I love the clothes, but, and it, there's a lot more to it. For me, otherwise, because if it was just fancy clothes and, you know, going to fashion shows, I would be out of it about 10 years ago. I could only survive for like a year and that kind of shit. I need something more. I need some, some depth to it. Yeah. And I think that's a fascinating idea. A lot of people don't think about how do you kind of, you know, reach deep into somebody to kind of bring the the inside to the outside not just to be sort of the superficial it's all about appearances but how, how do you kind of get that deeper connection and express that that seems like it's it would be so challenging but also fulfilling if you're able to pull it off oh it's best it's, I, it doesn't always get pulled off sometimes it's not the right fit not every it's a, such a personality thing you got to make sure people that's the most important thing for me people have to feel comfortable with you and feel safe it's a safe space that's what I provide. And these celebrities, these enter- people in entertainment, social media influencers, they're coming in to a fitting with me, bare-faced, no makeup, no hair, no nothing, no extension, or a guy who's, you know, I had one guy and he had just trained for this incredible role and his body was insane. Well, he stopped filming. He was on hiatus and he lived a normal life. And, but then had five months down the line or six months later, now he's having to do press for that movie that's coming out. And he does not look like what he does, does in the movie. <laughs> so that feeling, that insecurity or just feeling, you know, like he's going to let people down. And so I just shoot people straight and, and, I, and I get in there and I talk to them like, how are you feeling right now? Like, what, what do you want to portray to people? How are you feeling about this project? You know, and just having an honest conversation with them before we even touch clothes. Let's just get to know each other a bit. All my clients I do know now personally, but if it's a new introduction, it's really getting a feel for what do you want to portray? How are you feeling right now? What's going on internally? And then let, let's talk through some of that before we even dive into the clothes. Because if you feel like shit about yourself, no matter what I put on, I'm going to be hit at the knees. Nothing's going to work. So it's actually like self-preservation on my end for my own career, selfishly. I'm like, and I say that, I'm like, I care about you, but also like, I don't want to have a shitty fitting and I want you to feel good. And so let's make it great. How can we do that? Well, I don't want to wear short dresses. I don't want to show my knees. I'm really weird about that right now. Oh, okay. I don't like my legs. Okay. Well, we don't have to. Here's five pieces off the rack. Let's keep going. What else don't you like? And don't, I don't take anything personal. I take my ego, which, you know, sometimes it can get a little, I get in my head a bit and I take the ego out because I didn't design any of this stuff. And it's not like my personal, like, oh my God, I spent hours making this. I've selected it. I hope it works. And if it doesn't, moving on. And so when I take the ego out and make it not an issue of like, how dare you not trust my opinion? 
everything's gonna work. And so it's, I think having that attitude has kind of helped me, honestly, because I, I don't, I don't care that much to like make sure it's like my way or the highway. I don't care at all actually about that. Just feel good. That's the most important thing. Feel good. And so leading with that opens the door for vulnerability because I'm on their team to make them win. It's not about me, it's about them. And so if, if you walk into a situation where you feel uncomfortable, but someone is telling you that automatically it's very disarming. And so that's been my practice, my best practice for my business is always in intimate fittings. I don't need the agent and the publicist and the manager and the two assistants and the mom who flew it. No, just me and you. Let's keep it bare bones and just get through this fitting and in, in intimate fitting. I feel like it's way better than a lot of books in the kitchen. Any other examples of mind-blowing, surprising insights that you've gotten personally working with celebrities? I think yeah. so many of us would love to see behind the veil and like, you know, we're known, you have a relationship through the film, the movies, the music, but then there, there's a real person underneath that too. And it must be struggling, totally fascinating to see. Yeah. I, and I've also thought like, how could you possibly, like for certain people I've worked with, like you got it all going, you check every box, like really though. And like, what could you possibly be miserable about? Oh, don't worry. It's there. It is there. And it could be, you know, something interpersonal in their own life or a family relationship, or they don't feel loved, or they feel like they're objectified, or they don't feel seen or misunderstood. There's so much, I mean, us as humans, we're so complex. So yeah, no, whoever you think has it all together, I'm here to tell you hundred percent and seeing everyone from one of the most beautiful, I've worked with some of those beautiful models and actresses, actors in the world, truly. And I, can just a testament to say that nobody has it figure. Nobody is really like living that perfect life. It's there's always struggle, no matter how good or how rich you are. It's, it's truly, everyone's going through it. So it's a big equalizer in life. Truly, it doesn't matter, you know, what's in the bank account. One of the fringe benefits for me in working in mental health is that, you know, we all have our own shit going on. We all have our own struggles, and I get to come in here every day and I get to sit down with patients. And they oftentimes have things going on just a thousand times worse than I do. I mean, oftentimes they have like stuff that's not going on that's that bad and they feel guilty that they feel so sad about it. And for yeah. me, the fringe benefit is that it, it takes me outside of myself. I, you know, can leave the ego at the door and I'm there for them. And then I get to, you know, get that perspective that we're all in this together. And no matter how good it may seem on the surface, we're all human. We all have uh, lots of stuff going on, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a, it's a uh, definitely eye-opening experience to see that. It's helped me a lot, too, because I don't have that, like, fandom. I, I, it's kind of surprised me, too, when I see people, like, put people on pedestals in that way. I'm like, so weird. Because I, especially once you see someone that's been going through it or whatever, and no one knows that, but the way we elevate some of these people in the industry, a lot of them, it's like, what are we doing? You know, I get if you want to look up to somebody, but also you got to be just very realistic and know. But again, that's the media and that's entertainment and it's the allure. And I think the the curtain is slowly being lifted. With that's one good thing about social media. Sometimes is people can get vulnerable if they want to. You know, when I have a client or a patient that might think that I have it all together and I've I've got it made, I'm very happy to disabuse them of that notion right away and to, yeah. to let them know okay. like. Yeah, nah, nah. I, I've got issues. I've got, you know, emotions going on there. There's struggles and 
and we're all in this together. So no matter how, how much you think uh, the grass is greener, like let, let's be real, let's connect, let's make each other aware of what our emotions are. Speaking of which, what did you want to talk about today? Emotions going on for you, situations? Have you thought of anything that came to mind? You know, right now, I have to say mental health wise, I love to rate my mental health. Every week, I like to rate out in a journal, you know, to, to keep track of what's going on in this roller coaster ride. Sometimes you got the dips coming in. Right now, I'm actually feeling great, which I'm going to ride this till the wheels fall off. I'm in Nashville, Tennessee with two of my best friends in the world. And I went to the Kentucky Derby, something I never thought I would do. I went and saw Janet Jackson in concert. I met her. Just about shit my pants, felt my soul lift from my body. Because I loved Janet Jackson so much since I was in diapers. And so, which I didn't say to her because I didn't want to like make her feel like age her. But I'm, I just was like, I just love you, Janet. And she was just so sweet. Um, I've been a fan of her forever. And so I'm feeling so good right now. But, but yeah, there are sometimes even in these feelings of like, I'm, I'm so happy. I'm like, oh God, when's the other shoe going to drop? Oh God, something bad's going to happen. Because I don't, that's like a, I guess like a pessimistic sometimes approach that I have of like, uh-oh, like am I going to be hit with a death or something? Like it makes me a little nervous when the waters are this calm. Because I'm like, oh, this something bad's going to happen. And I don't like that I think that way. Sometimes intrusive thoughts start to get to me. Um, so I'm trying to just savor the moment, live, enjoy it. And I, it's not in my control, if, you know, outside factors, if someone, something bad happens or whatever. But, um, but right now, I'm actually feeling really good. I'm feeling great. And also just trying to get a manage of uh, two businesses. I have a podcast and I have a styling career. And both of them are full-time jobs and a lot rides on me. And now having people depend on me and knowing the growth that both things can have and but wanting to make sure I don't let anybody down, not just myself. I do put a lot of pressure. And so, you know, that gets to me sometimes. I'm trying to dial it back and not be so perfectionistic. Let go and let God or whoever you believe in. But it's tough for me to do that sometimes. Oh, I'm so hard on myself. That's the biggest thing I've been working on is not being so hard on myself yeah it, it's really tough to not be hard on myself and that's the thing it's crazy like i have people who have written in some pretty shitty things to me on instagram and my dms people love to drop a fag bomb once in a while if i and i'm like you yeah, know you're following like i'm gay i don't it's not like a huge part of my identity like like my sexuality is like one oh, percent of me the other 99%, there's so much more there. But some people like to weaponize sexuality against me or others of this. Because uh, it's just an easy way to just stick it to somebody. You're gay, bad, you know, it's an easy one. Um, but people have asked me, and I've been hearing stuff like that, my sexuality weaponized against me and other things since I was a kid. And people have said, like, it doesn't affect you. How are you able to just smile through it or not retaliate or not become jaded or vengeful or mean or, you know, hate people? Because I have like some friends who are definitely not politically aligned with me at all. <laughs> they have a completely different perspective. I love my Trump friends. Love them. We don't see eye to eye, but like I, get, I hear them, I see them, I get it. Or they don't agree with my lifestyle, whatever. I don't hate on them. I get them. I get everybody. I try to understand people as much as possible. But my whole thing is, which this is a terrible answer, but the reason why this shit doesn't affect me when I'm cut down by people, Fred, I've been through the ringer. Oh my God. I've been through a lot with people, betrayal and friends and people have really done me dirty. 
in this industry. But no matter what anyone says to me on Instagram or a friend who wants to cut me down, nothing, because my whole thing is you should hear what I say to myself. This is nothing. You want to talk about talking shit on yourself, like, damn, like I, I'm winning over here with the shit I would say to me. It, I'm my own worst enemy at times. I get in my own way. And so that's been something I'm really, really working on is just to really work on the, the negative self-talk. Don't be so hard on yourself. Give yourself a, a chance to win. Celebrate the small wins. Sometimes it's just getting out of bed and getting a shower. The win. You know, if you're feeling like shit, I've felt depressed some days, get my ass up, take a shower. That should be celebrated to win. And so little things like that can really help. Really. And that's such an interesting topic that we don't talk about a lot, which is you could call this sort of success anxiety. Like you're having a great time. Things are going well. You're having the time of your life right now. And all of a sudden it's like, when's the other shoe going to drop? You know, also it's an interesting story about that. Do you know where that expression came from? Where, where the other shoe's going to drop? Yeah. No, I have no idea. I've said it, but I, I don't know where it originated. So I never knew either, but I, I learned recently, it's actually kind of a story of redemption. In the old New York tenements, when people would come home from work, from like, you know, these hard labor jobs, and you'd have your neighbor come up this, the apartment above you, and you'd be trying to go to bed. And you'd be listening to them being loud, taking off their clothes, getting to bed. And then right before they went to sleep, they'd take off one of their shoes and they would drop on the floor. And they're dead tired from work. And so you're waiting for the other shoe to drop because you know when that second shoe drops, when it's going to be quiet, you can finally go to sleep. Oh, so it's like a positive thing. Yeah. And so whenever we use that expression, I think it's interesting because Somehow it morphed over time to kind of mean the opposite. Like, oh no, you know, something bad's about to happen. Yes. Oh, I use that with certain friends. Like I have new friends and like, oh, they're great. But I'm like, uh oh, when the, when is the freak bug going to wave? Is something weird's going to happen? Because it's my, if it's too good to be true, it usually isn't. That expression is another one, which probably originated for something positive too. I'm sure, (laughs) you know? And then another, another sort of, idea in that category is this idea of imposter syndrome when you're Mm -hmm. successful you're afraid you're going to lose it all you don't deserve it or you're afraid that people are going to think you're an imposter maybe you feel like you might be an imposter have you ever had those kind of thoughts or ideas come up yeah oh absolutely yeah i've i've never really felt like i don't belong in this space it's not about not belonging because i I feel like whatever I felt like fashion, I'm just like, I'm going to do it or whatever I'm trying to throw myself into like podcasting. Like I'm new to it, but like, I didn't feel like an imposter. I was like, in my head, I'm like, everybody's an imposter. And so I'm good. We're all foreign to this. No one was born to do anything. You know what I mean? You just kind of like fall into it. And if you love it, and then you can do what you do. I think me, it's like, I'm not going to be perfect at it. Or I'm not going to be good enough at it. And that is where my fault comes in. So I don't know if it's so much imposter syndrome is more just like being really hard on myself once I'm in this space. But I definitely feel like I'm good here. Like I, I don't question if this is the path for me. I'm like, I oh, know I'm, I feel like I have good footing, but it's just how hard I am on myself once I'm there, which is, then I feel like an imposter in my own brain. <laughs> like, you know, I'm just so hard yeah, on myself. That's a, that's a good way to put it. When you have that kind of self-critic thing going on, what, what's, when you get into that mode of thought, 
what's the emotions that are going on for you underneath it? If you can just like name those emotions without explaining why. The emotions I feel when I go into that headspace, uh, fear, anxiety, sometimes a little bit of regret or anger. If I did something that I'm like, oh, I wish I would have done it different. Or, uh, anger with my stuff. And uh, yeah, those are the main ones that I feel. And just, yes, an unknowingness, the fear of the unknown. And so not trusting the process, I feel, yeah, I guess, fear and anxiety. And, uh, and the sense of urgency, which I guess that plays into the anxiety. Everything feels so like, this is it. Oh my God. I always often see the lifetime clock. That's like a thing for me too. Like, oh, I might not be here tomorrow. <laughs> now, I don't know how many days I have on this plan. I better freaking get it in now. And so, yeah, that's kind of where my brain goes with the feelings. And so with curiosity, if these emotions are not bad, they're not just there to torture you and make everything, you know, uncomfortable, awful. If they're not, what, what do you think the good is? What's, what's the reason that we have fear, that we have anxiety, you think? Sometimes I feel like, like I'm, jealousy is one that I've also dealt with. Jealousy, for sure. That's what I would talk to you about. And, and fear and anxiety as well. I think when you feel fearful of something, it's actually good. It's actually like a little bit of fear, a little bit like, oh, this is scary waters for me. You have to get, uh, what's that phrase? You have to get uncomfortable to get comfortable in life sometimes. You challenge yourself in a way. And so I kind of love a little bit of that fear happening. Don't love the anxiety. And the jealousy coming in, I would feel shame to feel jealous. I don't like looking left or right and seeing what other people are doing. And you have such access to people on social media. I can see what all these other stylists, top stylists are doing, what other podcasters are doing, how much revenue they're making i'm like oh i didn't make that much money oh no like am i doing something wrong oh god and i start to just doubt myself again or the jealousy is like why well, i should you know why can't i do that but i recently started looking at jealousy as actually not a bad thing at all it's an indicator of where you want to be in life and so i'm looking at someone let's just use the podcast for an example i have a best friend of mine and she's killing it in the podcast and she deserves to she's freaking awesome and i don't necessarily feel jealous but like i feel like oh like i would love that too but you know or look at other i shouldn't even use her for an example someone i don't even know and be like why can i have that or whatever it's a good indicator of what i want in life and so it sets me in a direction of like what i can achieve and so it, it just kind of lights up a, a little trail a pathway and so that's how i look at jealousy like why am i feeling this way how can it, it doing something besides just making me feel like shit and it must be an indicator of something that I need. And so, and I, and I was talking to a girlfriend about it because she was feeling a bit left out and jealous of her other girlfriends who are all getting married and, you know, having kids. And she's like, oh God, I'm single or whatever. And she's been so career driven, you know, and so this is something, a point of contention for her in her personal life. But as I was talking it out with her, I was like, you've been working your ass off for how long? And the fact that you feel jealous of this girl and this and of your close friends, this is a good indicator of like, this is something you want. So it's time for you like to take that time and love and energy that you put into your career and, and whatever parts of your life that you can focus. This gives you a different focus. And so, yeah, it's just like putting yourself out there. And same with me, like with the podcast. Okay, well, I need to start the YouTube portion of it. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Like I can expand it in this way. And there's some growth opportunities. And so I think taking something that could be 
considered a negative emotion and then taking it into something like a good indicator of something else. The anxiety, why do I feel anxiety? I break it down for myself. Feeling anxiety because I don't feel comfortable. Why don't I feel comfortable? Because I don't really know what I'm doing in this. Okay, well, there's somebody else that I can talk to. Let me reach out to people. I don't know what I'm doing. I need to do the homework and I haven't done that. So I kind of break it down so that I don't completely lose my shit. (laughs) I break it down so that I'm like, okay, you know, this is direction for me and I just need to find some answers. And I'm always curious. And so it kind of sends me on a fun little mission uh, to figure stuff. I, I lay, I press into those fear and anxiety rather than just like hiding from it or being like, oh God, or like I used to. This is all new. The last few years is when I've been kind of, you know, allowing it to embracing it. Embracing you know, jumping, fear and jumping back to jealousy. I think that's just such a great application, you know, in radical emotional acceptance. We talk about step three, which is to listen to the fuck or listen to the emotion. And what you just demonstrated was was brilliant because instead of judging jealousy as like a bad thing, oh no, this is a bad emotion. This is a negative emotion that I shouldn't be having. You looked at it with curiosity. And the other part of listening to the emotion is trying to see what desires are there. And so you say, you know, this painful, icky emotion of jealousy it's also making me aware that I have desires. I, I, I desire this. I want this success. I would like to achieve this. I see other people are having this and I would like that too. And so that can inform, you know, with your emotional wisdom, what steps and actions you want to take. And it sounds like you come out of it feeling a lot more motivated. Oh, yes. Way more motivated rather than feeling defeated or like, oh, I, I won't be able to do that. I'm like, well, why can't I? Why not? And so, and even I remember in styling, I was, I was like, oh, I, I really want to sit front row at a fashion show. Why can't I do that? How come I'm not getting invited to that? This was years ago. Now, it's so funny because now it's the grass is greener. I'm like, I'm good. Can I zoom in? <laughs> I'm good. But I remember looking into it. I was like, one stylist in particular I was looking at, I was like, I don't have rich parents. And her parents funded her styling crew, put down a lot of capital, said she could have a nice studio. And that she had access to all these brands because she had relationships with them. She's been wearing them. She was in diapers. And I was like, just felt shitty. And I was like, there has to be another way because not everybody in 2000 is rich. How can I, how am I going to do this? Because I only have like 50 bucks in my checking account and I'm struggling to the USA. How is this going to happen? But like, it, it did motivate me because I was like, it would be so cool if I could end up going to a fashion show and getting invited, even though I didn't like grow up with these people. I'm not in the in crowd. But like, they still want, like, how can I get them to want me there? Like, what do I have to do? Oh, I need clients. Okay. All right. And so it just, again, pathway and it helped me a lot. It's been actually fun. I'm, I'm down. I'm down for some anxiety and cheer one. I don't run from it like they used to. Yeah. And that's also like a great way to have that sincere gratitude for the, the fear, the anxiety. I think of anxiety as just sort of a manifestation of fear and what the fear is doing is it's making us aware of a threat or a potential threat, something that may hurt us. And that's a really good thing because we don't really have anything else in life that would tune us into that. Fear is there to say like, hey, pay attention because this might happen. Now, it may be super, super unlikely or it may be inevitable, but the fear is there to make us aware. And then, like you said, maybe the next plan of action is to get some help, ask questions, you don't, you don't know if you can handle this threat. You don't know if it's going to happen or not. You need to get more information. You need to get some help. And so 
that motivates us to go and connect with other people and to get that help or that knowledge, that insight that we need to use the motivation of the fear to kind of get us going, you know? Yeah. And one thing I realized too is I think, and I remember the way that I approached styling as opposed to the podcast, I went into styling, like fake it till you make it, smoke and mirrors, no money. I pretended like I was established. And at the time, this was 10, over 10 years ago now, uh, I was able to bullshit. And I mean, I had a fake portfolio pretty much of like, oh, just beautiful girlfriends of mine in dresses. But I was like, this was, you know, Muse magazine, which is made up magazines, but it would be a book with like printed out images. Like, this is all this beautiful editorial work that I've done. I did not like no editorial work. I was dying to do some magazine work, which by the way, it's not for anyone listening. It ain't worth it. Don't do it. Um, unless you love it and you just don't want to make money. But anyway, I faked it till I made it and it was smoke and mirrors. And I wanted to seem established. Like I had my shit together and everything so that I could get clients. That approach worked then for over a decade ago for style. The approach for podcasting, I was going to take the same approach. I'm already established. I already have an audience. Hello. Welcome to the low life. Like I got my shit together. I'm an expert podcaster with a built-in audience. I wasn't. I didn't even have downloads. I was like, what the hell? And I said that like, hey, hey guys, I hope, hope you'll download the show. And I just decided to just completely strip down, no smoke and mirrors. I and even say like, I'm so excited like to get a sponsor. I really need sponsors because they help. And this podcast is expensive to produce. With You have to pay people, like your editors and stuff like that. And so I just say it. And so now it's crazy, but like, when you're vulnerable, that's something like a huge lesson for me in this podcast space. And just, and I've taken it into my life is people want to help. Put yourself out. People genuinely want to help. It, the hardest thing is asking for it. I'm an island. I don't want to ask for shit. I want to just do it all on my own. I don't want to owe anybody anything. And I always, that was my mentality. And I, and I just don't want to bother people too. I don't want to put too much in or feel like I'm indebted. But people genuinely, if you are vulnerable and just put yourself out there, I'll say, hey guys, I could really use downloads. And, and if you use the sponsor codes, it does help. And this is how. And I broke it down. Now my reviews of people on my podcast are like, oh my God, you got, a, you got another ad. That's awesome. They're like rooting for ads, which I'm like, who the hell on a podcast? Most people forward through them. You know, they're like, hurry up, speed it up to get to the conversation. Now I actually have listeners who are like, we're excited for you because they've been there from the ground up and seen me literally struggling in a closet to now having so it's they're part of my journey and so even now approaching things in life I, i'm asking friends or people or messaging people I, I don't understand this would you be able to help you know I'd, I'd love to pick your brain on this or just putting myself out there in a way is people genuinely for the most part are down to help and like me even styling now i'm an open book you want to get into styling this is where i fucked up you know i'll let you know Hopefully you don't. And I, there's some, a, a friend of mine now, uh, she was an intern. Now she wants to be a stylist. And so I've been giving her some pointers and stuff that I screwed up on along the way. So I'm like, you don't have to like get hard knocks. Like not, that's one, another lesson I learned. Not everybody has to go to the school of hard knocks. Not everybody needs to. And I thought that was a thing. You didn't deserve the success. You didn't earn it if you didn't like fall or stumble along the way. Sometimes it can be you know, a few little stumbles, but maybe it doesn't have to be like completely eating shit like I did. And so <laughs> like really screwing up or really dropping the ball. So if I could prevent someone from doing that, why not? Like it's just 
helpful information for other people. So anyway, just asking for help is, is huge and scary to do sometimes, but people want to. I, I didn't believe it until I tried it. And people yeah, are it, take, it takes a lot of courage to ask for help and it takes a lot of courage to be vulnerable. I think of asking for help as my superpower. You know, you realize that you're very limited in many ways. And if you don't learn to ask for help, things are probably not going to get better. Do you think you'd be where you are now if you hadn't asked for help? And how does, uh, how would you describe vulnerability? What does it mean for you to be vulnerable? to get to that place where you're, you're able to do that. Vulnerability is everything to me. It is like my, my cornerstone, my pillar for, for just how I will go through life. It's just put yourself out there and be vulnerable. And that coming from me who has, that's trust issues. I don't trust anybody. I think everybody's a serial killer until proven otherwise. And I'm looking at the world. I'm like, I don't trust nobody, but I've been hurt and I've been screwed over. And so you get a little of that, that taste of betrayal or people doing you dirty. And then all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, uh, I don't trust anybody. And so now I'm like, although I still struggle with trust, I have to be vulnerable. And vulnerability to me, it, it is a power. I think it's superpower. I think it's brave to be vulnerable. I think it's a beautiful thing. And I think that vulnerability, for the most part, it leads to actual, genuine, real connection. If you are vulnerable, it's not a weakness, it's a strength. And it will lead to genuine, real connection with anybody. From your partner, you know, who you're going to do life with, to friends, family, putting yourself out there. There's something really magical about being able to do that. It's not easy. And so uh, it's helped my relationships. Oh my God, it's helped them so much. All of that, my, my friends and my family and just the people I work with. I don't have all the answers. I don't need to pretend that I do. I don't know the solution sometimes. That they can actually help someone else because my weaknesses are somebody else's strengths. And so it's kind of nice to, you know, find that healthy balance too. I have a friend, he's a genius with finances and I'm intimidated sometimes and talking. I'm in his office right now, literally filming from Nashville. And, um, but I'm also creatively genius to him. I didn't raise that, so he has an analytical approach. But, and so our two worlds are so different. He brings a lot to the table, different for me. And so, but being vulnerable and saying like, I don't, know what I'm doing with this and him breaking it down and not making me feel stupid. You know, it's okay. You know, and then I'm helping him out with styling or whatever. And like, cause he's like, what the hell? What shoes should I wear? I don't know what I'm doing here. Does this beard look like? And so we all have our weaknesses and strengths. And I, again, I just never wanted to showcase, hold my card close to my chest. I didn't want to showcase them, but I don't mind doing it now. I'm, I'm glad with showing it. So the long-winded answer, but vulnerability is basically everything to me. It's a good foundation for relationship building in life. Really, though, it's helped me a lot. And, and how how do you actually be vulnerable? What does that? What's the play-by-play? -play? What does that look like? You're you're talking with someone. Like, how, how does that mm -hmm. come out? What what does it feel like to be vulnerable? Wow, for me to be vulnerable is I have to check my ego at the door when I go into relationships. And not lead with that ego. And for me, going into any conversation, it's the ability to admit when you're wrong. It's the, the ability to admit when you don't know all the answers, to say it's okay to feel okay to say that you're confused about something and actually feel comfortable in that space and know that other people bring something great to the table too. And so just day to day, oh, I practice it all the time. 
it's checking that ego. And I say it and I still struggle with it sometimes too, because I want to come across it. Oh, I know the answer to that. Or I should, oh God, I've been doing this for how long I should know. And sometimes I don't, or I don't know, forgot or brain fart, like it's okay. And so it's been really nice uh, to be able to, to go into conversations with anybody, like with you, I'm going to learn I, that one conversation we had on my podcast, you're a brilliant mind. Like you wrote a book, you put your heart and soul into this book. And, and I learned a lot. So I'm like, oh, this is great. Like just being curious and like, I want to soak you up like a fucking sponge. And I try and be a sponge in life. And like, if you think, you know, all the answers are that another, I'm just dropping all these old school phrases. If you think you're the smartest person in the room, then you're definitely not. And like, again, I'm never going to be the smartest person in the room. I don't need, that's the wrong room for me then. If I'm in a room and I'm the smartest one, like get me the fuck out of here. Cause I need to be in a room where I'm challenged and soaking it in like a sponge and learning something. And so it's been so helpful. And so that's, I love it. I love being, I want to be a sponge in life. And that's also like, I want to be a vulnerable sponge. <laughs> yeah. So I want to be. Quick question checking in. At this moment right now in time, do you feel that self-critical voice? Is that in the room or is it not part of this conversation? No, it's not in this conversation right now. Besides me just feeling a little shiny with the camera. Now, and now outside of that, I'm like, oh man, Lo, you could have really, I'm all sweaty. But no, I don't feel self-critical. I feel very safe talking to you and just comfortable. And uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not beating myself up. <laughs> yeah, that's, that makes me super happy. And I, I want you to notice because what we did is like we took that idea of the self-criticism, which I think a lot of us struggle with and how painful it is. You talked about underneath that there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of anxiety, there's anger, there's jealousy. But then when we started to validate those emotions and say, you know what, the, the anger is good, the jealousy is good, the, the fear is good, it's not a bad thing. And I can just be curious about it. It, it took you away from that. It took you away from the self-criticism because we don't have to get wrapped up into that feeling or that, you know, fake story, that toxic story that, oh, I need to, I need to fix this. I need to be perfect so that I never have to have fear. I never have to have anxiety. I never have to have jealousy. And I think a lot of the self-criticism is maybe a way that we try to fix emotions and try to avoid them or get rid of them so that we don't have to feel those painful emotions rather than just being curious like we're doing right now. Yeah, absolutely. Even the emotions like feeling heartbreak or I'm an emotional guy, I'm a cancer crab. If you're into astrology, we're sensitive little cancer crabs. And I've, I'm highly emotional and uh, very empathetic. And it comes with a blessing and a curse to practice and feel thing. And I have to sometimes be careful because I'll take other people's pain on too. And I'm like, whoa, I'm feeling that a little too much. This is a lot for me. But I've, I've been affected by certain relationships where I'm like, wow, that is foully affecting me. And I've had response when I've looked to my confidants, which there's only three in life that I have. Three confidants where I, it's a vault. I feel protected. It's a safe space. So the vulnerability that I express to them and I really let it out, I know that it won't be weaponized later. And so like that sort of thing. And even them, they were like, well, like, don't you, you shouldn't just like, be so hard on yourself or like don't take it so personal or like let it go it's a big thing let it go don't let them have power over you and i i gave a little pushback to that because i'm like i think the fact that i'm so affected by this is like because i care so much and i don't want to feel shame for caring i love this person so much and like yeah it affects me. and so i'm going to sit with this for a minute 
and I don't like the way it feels, but I'm just going to sit with this for a day or two. The shitty feeling of feeling sad and depressed because there's, it's an indicator for me. I care and I love them so deeply. That's why it's actually affected me. Complacency or me not caring would be a red flag that this relationship is trash or doesn't mean much to me. The fact that I am affected means that there's something there and that, that they must mean something to me. Otherwise, it wouldn't really affect me at all. So even uncomfortable emotions like that of, you know, feeling depressed or heartbreak, I've, I've kind of embraced them, tried to at least, and, and it's okay. And it's a good indicator of like, you should be proud of the fact that you could feel that because there's some sociopaths out there that aren't going to ever feel that in their life. So the fact that I feel such heartbreak or losing someone and I'm grieving so deeply, I felt shame for grieving and I've experienced a lot of loss, unfortunately. Freaking trauma Olympics of grieving. It sucks. I don't want to be a gold medal winner, but we lost too many fucking people. But it happens. And so I would feel shame for feeling so sad. But now I'm like, it's a good, I, I'm, I'm actually proud that I'm able to like love so deeply. You know, it, it's, it's a paradigm shift. Something that I'm just trying to work around. And so that I, I don't feel again, shame. That's such an excellent point, you know, in mental health, psychiatry, providers often pathologize being, I, I don't think it's possible to be overly emotional, but for people that are quite emotional, it can actually be diagnosed as a disorder, a personality disorder or something. However, a lot of the time, instead of pathologizing it, if we could think of that as you've kind of got a unique talent. You're very empathetic. You love a lot. <laughs> you, you're really in touch with your emotions. You, you feel deeply. And that doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. And if you have, like you said, that paradigm shift to be, you know, I want to be curious about this. I want to see why am I so incredibly sad about this relationship going on right now? Well, because I really love that person. It means something to me. And that's just a true thing. It's a, it's overwhelming. It's intense. It's, it's a lot. It's also just a true thing. And we don't have to declare war on our emotions and say, I shouldn't be so emotional. I should fix yeah. myself. I shouldn't be so sad. I'm just not, I'm going to not give a fuck about this. Instead, yeah. we can uh, learn to tune in and see what they're trying to teach us. And I think maybe a lot of folks out there are actually uniquely gifted because they do have that intensity of emotions and they can see things more clearly or stronger. And that can, you know, be a benefit to those of us that maybe don't have that. Yeah. Oh, now I look at being a very emotional, highly sensitive person. I remember growing up, <laughs> I would hear from family members, oh, he's just a sensitive, he's sensitive. Almost like it was a weakness. Oh, you know, he feels things a little too much. Or whatever. And so and you get response back that like, you got to toughen him up. You got to toughen your kid up a bit. You don't want him getting bullied and him letting, you know, his emotions get the best of him. Now I'm like, it is a superpower because I mean, my situational awareness is like on another level, but you need that for like big jobs. Not that I'm going to be in the CIA or some shit, but like you need it for that, you know, for like, even like police officers, a lot of people, the military, like that situational awareness will help you a lot in life. Being empathetic. So now I, there's a shift. I've read a couple books on it, on being highly sensitive. And I'm like, you know what? It, you need, we need these people in the world. We need them in society. We need our little emotional cancer crabs and everybody else, you know, feels things too much sometimes. And it's not too much. It's the whole point. It's good. So yeah, it has been, again, a paradigm shift and it's been, it's been nice. 
coming, accepting and loving who I am and, and not, again, the shame comes in and realizing like, I don't need to have that shame. Don't put your shit on me when people are, don't project. I'm realizing that too. Don't try to make me feel shameful for being an emotional person. I'm sorry that like, yeah, made of stone. Yeah. <laughs> so I think sometimes like, I'm good. I'm good over here. By the way, with shame, you've, you know, mentioned that a few times. My, my take on it, and I just wanted to kind of get your take on it. I think of shame as this fireball, powerful, painful emotion that really makes us pay attention. The problem is, is that most of us will have a story about that saying, oh, there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with who I am. I'm not lovable. I'll never be good enough, whatever that might be. However, if we actually look at shame is that there is a problem, but it's with my relationship with another person, with society, with my tribe, or, or there's a problem with the other person. It's, it's really their fault, whatever that might be. Then the shame can tune us in to that problem so we can do something about it rather than the shame itself being an emotion that we have to fix or get rid of. Because again, it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't ever actually mean something bad about who we are intrinsically. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm right on board with you with that. Yeah, shame, oh, it can do you dirty if you let, I mean, with those intrusive thoughts, like, oh God, and we feel shame with everything we do. And so I started this, uh, the shame spiral early on in my childhood. And it was my mom, God bless her. She's still alive. I said, like, she's no longer with us. This queen's still, she's great. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm like, I need more sessions with you, Doc. But yeah, she, I remember wanting to take a Hello Kitty purse to school. And I was five years old in kindergarten. And my mom, I said, I really want to wear this. And she let me pick my own outfit out, which made no sense. It was like none of the colors matched, whatever. And so my mom said, you should wear that, Mio. Wear what you want to wear. Do you? I, I love you. It's your favorite purse. Wear your purse. If you don't want to take a backpack, you want to take a Hello Kitty purse, take that. My dad wasn't having it. And he was like, oh God, he's going to get made fun of. And I ended up going to school with my Hello Kitty purse and I didn't get made fun of. And kids, you know, I was, I picked on all three grades. But I, I felt like I was actually the coolest kid because I was like, you guys are all doing the same thing. Like, I don't know. I didn't allow, I, the shame, I just, had a, just a, a paradigm shift from a really young age of like, I'm not going to let you shame me because, because I think I'm, I'm cool. You guys are the ones that are all the same. And so I, I sharpened my wit and my tongue and I, I came strong with a comeback and I had a mouth on me because I couldn't fight. And so I was able to just fling insults or whatever back at kids <laughs> and with my Hello Kitty purse. Um, but I became like a little sassy little monster. And so, but I didn't allow myself to feel shame then that's such a black and white easy thing of like something you wear and feel shame for it but but i took that lesson into the rest of my life and i've i've always kind of it's weird now so bizarre i don't even know why maybe this is why i do as i'm talking out loud but i have a really if everyone is going a certain direction it's like bigger than me i have to like bye bye i'm going this way i have a tough time with rule i don't like to follow and if everyone, and I, I'm not into like following the crowd, almost to a point of like, I have to be individual. Like, I think it stems from such an early age of never fitting in ever. I've never felt like I belong. And so, because like in group settings and with people and stuff, because I was just a different. And I've always just, you know, 
kind of walk to the beat of my own drum and it hasn't been a very popular drum or beat. And so with that, that shame, I guess for me, as I've gotten older, it's like, I still feel shame once in a while, but I, I really try and, uh, and, and just do my thing, walk my own path. If you want to join me, cool. If not like, okay, bye. Like, I let go of it. I let go because shame is so crippling. It is so crippling because shame leads to fear, which leads to regret, which leads to you not following your dreams. And it just, oh man, it will, it will just really hinder you if you let it get the best. And I've seen, I've experienced it and I've seen it happen to other people too. I think your example is great because initially, you know, the shame makes us aware that there's a problem in our relationship, you know, there's a problem in my relationship with the kids at school because they're going to make fun of me because I don't fit in. However, the, so the emotion's true. The shame's true. It's painful. It's, it's, it got our attention. But then we still have the choice. We're like, well, fuck them. I'm going to be myself anyway. And I'm going to learn yeah. comebacks and whatever. And so just because we have that shame radar, it doesn't mean that we have to, you know, well, I better conform. I better do whatever they want me to do to fit in or whatever. No, you're, you're, you're still free to have a choice. So the shame is sort of like a stepping stone yeah. that gets you to that place. Like, you know what? I'm going to go against society because I don't agree with society. I want to change society or whatever you decide. But you have that free choice with the power of the, the wisdom of the shame, you know? Yeah, absolutely. This has been so great. Did you have any, I want to check in with you before we wrap up. What emotions are coming up for you now? How are you feeling? How was this? I feel great. It's a beautiful conversation. Like I, yeah, this, it doesn't even feel like a podcast. I mean, we're just talking, you know, and it's so, it's a very intimate conversation, which is so nice. Now I, I feel awesome. I went into it feeling exhausted from a workout. I was like, oh, I don't know how this is going to go. Just because again, even though I'm like all down for that vulnerability and want to lead with it, it's still tough. So I'm not saying it's easy. Sometimes I'm like, I still like to have my cards up and be like, let's talk about fashion or whatever. And just, you know, and not dive into anything that feels significant or like, you know, just to keep it safe. But I feel awesome. And, and thank you for the safe space to, to allow myself to open up and, and have great conversations like this. And yeah, I end up feeling awesome in the moment, you know? That's great. My emotion right now is some intense jealousy because you got to meet Janet Jackson and that would be yeah. such a dream. I was such oh, a fan yeah. since I was a kid too. Uh, oh, you were? I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm very, I'm very yeah, jealous. Yeah. I'm also very happy for you. The two are not mutually yeah. exclusive. So, so now you could, now that jealousy feeling you're like, oh, this must mean that I need to go see her in concert. And so, <laughs> just one by the way, yeah, 57 years old, I think she's at uh, 57, 58, up there, rocking out. Like, and one of her dancers is a good friend of mine. And I mean, she's holding her own. And he's like, oh, she is, has more energy than us. I was like, and she's part of the Billionaires Club. Not to go on a Janet tangent, but like, she's so successful. She doesn't need money. She married a billionaire and also makes millions. She's fine. I mean, she can do whatever she wants now. But she's still up there, grinding it out, dancing her ass off, and giving a, an incredible show. Like, she was born to perform. It was such an inspiring thing for me because one of my biggest fears is aging. I get scared. I'm like, oh God, you know. But seeing Janet up there, I was like, oh, she has been like the quintessential, like, I got this. 
in her 30s. I approached my 30s and I was like, oh, this is my Janet All For You tour. That's I'm in my 30s now. And but by the time I'm in my 50s, approaching my 60s, I'm like, I'm ready for my Together Again tour. I'm with you, Janet. I love her. And so, yes, if anyone can listen to this, go see Janet concert. It's so worth the ticket. Awesome. Thanks again for coming on. Any last thoughts before we wrap up? No, thank you for having me. This was awesome. I appreciate you having me on. And anytime you want me to come back and talk about whatever, I'm always down to have a conversation with you. I love being here. And where can folks follow you, Lo, if they want to check you out more? Oh, yeah. On Instagram, it's at style, S-T-Y-L-E. LVR, Style Lover, it's the acronym, but it's actually my initial. And then on TikTok, it's Style LVR. My podcast is The Low Life. It's everywhere you stream your podcast, Apple, Amazon, Spotify, wherever. And yeah, you can find me basically on Instagram, sliding in my DMs and uh, see you there. <laughs> Low Von Room, thank you so much. Thank you. Hey guys, thanks for watching. This is Dr. Alex Wills with Give a F Actually. Make sure to check us out on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your podcasts. Thanks for watching. Make sure to check out the merch store. RadicalEmotionalAcceptance.com Bye. Bye.